Welcome to the Global Band Room, a podcast about bands and musicians across the world. My name is Keith Kelly, and I'm a band director from the west coast of Ireland. Each episode, I sit down with musicians to talk about their stories and bands and how they're making an impact in their communities. Before we start, you can find out more about the podcast and the people and stories that we feature over at globalbandroom.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Global Bandroom. All of the Global Bandroom podcasts are brought to you by Kaleidoscope Adventures. Find out how you can travel beyond expectations at mykatrip.com. Now on with the show. Well, welcome back to the Global Band Room, and this week I'm delighted to be welcoming uh, the Assistant Director of the United States Coast Guard Band, Jeffrey Spenner, to the podcast. Uh, Jeffrey, I'm an ex-military musician, and I haven't really had the opportunity to talk about military bands over the last two years while I've been running this podcast. Uh, but they were military bands were were sort of the the reason I got into music. So I'm delighted to be able to talk about uh, about about the Coast Guard Band and your career today. Welcome to the Global Band Room. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I was I was thrilled uh, when you asked me to do it, and and I I guess I had just kind of assumed that you would kind of run the course of the other branches of the the military over here. I'm I'm, I'm thrilled in, in a way <laughs> to be the first because you know the Coast Guard is kind of the uh, redheaded stepchild uh, sometimes of the, <laughs> the branches of military over here, or, or or maybe Space Force now has taken that moniker. Um, but uh, they haven't know, got their band yet. No. <laughs> No, no, they don't even have a song yet. Uh, they, they, we've been playing the, the trio to Invincible Eagle for them uh, in our, our medleys. But uh, uh, no, I mean, it's it, it's great to talk with you, and I'm 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 just thrilled to be here. Well, I'm I want to really talk to you today. I want to have a different sort of conversation today to some of the conversations uh, that I've had, and I want to talk about what it's like to be a, a service musician today because I think we'll have a lot to to talk about. Um, on that. But before we do that, Jeffrey, I want to talk a little bit about you and um, and your background and, and, and your 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 career path to, to, to where you are today. Uh, are you um, are you from the Connecticut region or did, did you move there for work? No, oh, we definitely moved here for work. Um, both my wife and I are from Michigan originally uh, uh, and basically grew up in the upper Midwest. I went to the University of Illinois for my undergrad, and then I worked in uh, Northern Kentucky for a little bit, and then I went back to Michigan for my master's degree at Western Michigan. Um, and so just kind of tooled around the the Midwest, upper Midwest for a while. And uh, then at the end of my master's degree, you know, was looking around for, for work. Uh, I wasn't really interested in continuing school at that time. And I somehow found myself in the army bands. And that took me to the middle of nowhere, Missouri. And then I spent a few years there. And then I won the uh, position that I'm in currently, the assistant director of the United States Coast Guard Band. And that brought me up to the Northeast, which has has been an area that I've always really been interested in. I've always loved the history and the, um, you know, just how close everything is. I mean, two hours one direction, we've got Boston. Two hours another direction, we've got New York City. I mean, just the the heaps of culture that uh, uh, are just surrounding us and inundating us uh, that you, you have to travel a few hours on an interstate in the Midwest uh, uh, of the United States to, to get to some of these things. <laughs> um, but no, my and, and my wife had actually done her master's at uh, Ithaca College in upstate New York. So she had been in the... Um, New England region uh, a little bit more than I had, but we were thrilled to move to this area. Um, it, it's a great area, and, and of course, a, a phenomenal job to to necessitate that move. And and tell me, um, you know, you said you say you started off with with, with one of the army bands. Um, did you start off as a musician? Was it always your intention to kind of work towards uh, conducting and directing? Well, so th- that's a bit of a story, too, in that I, I joined the Army to be a conductor. I had won the mm. uh, conducting audition that they do every year or every other year or so to kind of populate their um, conductor ranks, uh, conducting officer ranks. And then I got through basic training fine. I got to officer candidate school fine. Or, uh, I got to officer candidate school. And then instead of sitting up 66 times in two minutes, I sat up 63 times in two minutes. And so officer candidate school said, okay, infantry or truck driver. 
And I said, uh, no. <laughs> um, and, and so that went back and forth for a little bit. And I, I got special permission to stay uh, on the band side of things, uh, but as enlisted. So when I was in Missouri, I was actually as an enlisted trumpet player. Um, and so I was in the process of getting back to the point of uh, being a conductor with the Army um, when the position with Coast Guard opened up. And I, I jumped at the chance. Uh, uh, it, the, the phrase is typically jumped ship, but I jumped on board ship because I went for fun with the Coast Guard. Um, but uh, yeah, so so in answer to your question, I mean, yes, it was always um, music was always the thing. Like I, I I wasn't joining the army to join the army. I I was joining the army to be a musician. I was uh, joining the services to be a musician. My bachelor's degree is in trumpet performance. My master's degree is in orchestral conducting. So um, my my idea of service has always been to be from from that standpoint of this is what that this is the thing that I can offer in service to my country and and quite honestly like so many other folks uh, uh, who joined the service bands it it started because I, I looked around and I needed a job and I needed to find something to pay the bills and and hopefully give a little bit of health care every now and again and so that that was the job that stuck at the at that time. Uh, I mean, it, I could have just as easily, I suppose, been a, a community orchestra director in northern Minnesota. I was up for a job up there or uh, uh, one of the many staff assistants at a, a, a symphony or something like that. But no, that, that was the job that stuck. And, and I stuck with it, I guess. And uh, this has kind of been the, the path that I've been on ever since. It's certainly one of the biggest motivations for for um, many musicians, um, and and not just in the US, uh, across the world, military bands, service bands uh, provide work for um, so many musicians, um, and well, especially the last year and a half or so. Absolutely, and I think people that have been freelancing for for a long time that um, uh, never really considered service bands suddenly did during the uh, during the pandemic and and even during you know I, I joined the Irish army in 2004 and I was by the time the crash happened in 2007 and it hit the rest of the world I was very very happy to be in um, in the Irish army band at that at that time um, and so like I think the military uh, globally uh, is, is is sort of one of the biggest mu- employers of, of musicians around the world I'd imagine um, and probably doesn't get the credit that it deserves for doing that sometimes. Well, um, in the States, one of the things that I think about um, maybe more than I should is the fact that the um, military musicians are really the only completely publicly funded arts program in the States right. that I know of. <clears throat> I mean, you know, the, the European model of all the orchestras are state funded, state subsidied, all, all these things. I mean, in America, we have the National Endowment for the Arts and we have an in, an enormous wealth of support um, that is to be had, you know, if you go through the grant process, grant writing process or, or things like that for a normal uh, nonprofit organization uh, over here, it's the 501c3 status. Um, but we don't have kind of that overarching governmental built-in support that that you see in Europe or you see in Asia, except for the military bands, and, and that's mm. that's not exactly lost on uh, on my train of thought. Well, and and me, I mean, yes, and that is the case here in Ireland. We have uh, two uh, state-supported, three, three really state-supported orchestras here in Ireland, but no state-supported bands. Um, you know, you want a band to go out and march on uh, St. Patrick's Day, a professional band to march or welcome in visiting uh, dignitaries. Uh, it's it's still going to be the military or, or we we do have a professional police force band here, the Carnegie Agana band. Um, but yeah, bands don't tend to be. I mean, if, if, if even if you're in a country that's lucky enough to have publicly supported orchestras, it's very unlikely that there's going to be a publicly supported band separately to that. Um, and and it's the military that normally fills that. Uh, you know, maybe it's maybe it's time to to advocate um, for some professional bands around the world. Uh, you I'm know. all for that. You know, one of my and, and, and maybe this is a. Uh... Uh, um, jumping the gun a little bit and diving in a little too too deep into our conversation too quickly. <laughs> but uh, uh, one of the things that I'm I'm a huge advocate for, and and, and I, I I just I really can't stand this separation between band and orchestra that that we see, especially over here in the states. I mean, I, I mm. see it a little bit less 
um, in the UK and in Ireland, uh, just from an observational standpoint. I haven't had the opportunity to come over and do much work uh, yet. Um, uh, but, you know, here there you, you can go to school to be a band conductor or you can go to school to be an orchestra conductor, where, whereas at like the Royal Northern College there in Manchester, you, mm. you go to school to be a conductor. And one week you're conducting the band, one week you're conducting the opera, one, con- one week you're conducting the brass band. And, and there, there isn't this segmentation of, of the field that I think we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit over here in the States, at least, where, uh, well, well, what are you? Oh well, I'm a band director. Oh well, what are you? Oh, I'm an orchestra. I'm, I'm a musician. Like I'm a conductor. Like if you give me a kazoo ensemble, I'll conduct it. I wonder though, Jeffrey, does that come from a place of success? Maybe though, as well, in that um, to be a working musician here, certainly in Ireland, but probably in the UK too, um, you you have to be uh, you have to be multilingual. In terms, of, you know, as a musician or as a conductor, you have to be able to do both because there's no specialization um, uh, possible. Um, whereas in the US, uh, bands, you know, there there are you know many many opportunities to work as a as a music director at high school, middle school, college level, um, or with the services, uh, and then orchestras are, are are separate to that. Then again, it seems to be that there's just maybe because there's so much more opportunity in the United States that maybe that's the reason that you people can specialize in what they do. Would you, would you, would you agree with us? Yeah, I, I would. And I, I guess I would, I, I, I appreciate that line, line of thought and, and where it's, you know, maybe spoiled for choice, so to speak, um, <laughs> or for what you can do. And, and, and yeah, it, it does come from a place of just so many different opportunities that I guess, you know, the, the idea would be to to specialize or whatnot, but but on the flip side, I, I still do think you know I I have far too many colleagues and I've, I I know far too many uh, students of conducting who turn down opportunities or choose not to study with particular people because they're oh well they're a band director and I'm an orchestra director and what right. what can they possibly have to teach me or or vice versa you know mm-hmm. I, I I'm. I'm flabbergasted by the amount of times that I hear people say, oh, well, I'm not going to go do that workshop because that's a choral conductor. I have learned so much about phrasing and just how how to phrase a beautiful melody from choral conductors that, you know, I I would not trade my time in, with them for anything in the world. Um, and, and like I said, you know, my my master's degree is in orchestral conducting and there, there were a mighty many people that looked at me kind of askance when I said, okay, now I'm going to go do this band thing for a while because they're like, well, what are you doing working with bands? But, you, you know, I mean, at, especially at the level that, that the United States Coast Guard band is, I mean, these musicians are the same sorts of musicians that you'd find in the New York Philharmonic, Boston Symphony, mm-hmm. Chicago Symphony. I mean, these are our top notch people. The One of the soloists that I just accompanied on a, a program about mm-hmm, three weeks ago or so is a Juilliard graduate. I mean, he's one of the finest horn players I've ever ever heard much less had the opportunity to work with and i'm going you would have me turn that down to (laughs) to go to go be assistant to the assistant to the assistant to the assistant and maybe conduct an overture every other year or so at a at, at another orchestra i'm i'm going no thank you i mean my goal is to make the best music possible with the best musicians possible for the widest array of audiences possible. And I look around and I'm being afforded the opportunity to do that right now. And I mean, sure, it's band music, but what does that mean even? I mean, do do we call uh, Mussorgsky's pictures at an exhibition piano music that, oh, the oh the orchestra is playing this transcription of this piano? No, it's, it's pictures at an exhibition. So what's the big deal when a band plays pictures? Oh, it's a transcription. Yeah, what do you think it was in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> and don't don't get me wrong, I, I I think that flexibility is incredibly important, and I love hearing you talk about uh, learning from choral conductors. In fact, I have a choral conductor going to be a guest on the on the uh, on the podcast very soon, and have lessons from the choir room on the global band room because uh, I th- I do I do believe that's incredibly important. You can see the top drum corps all engage in a lot of singing and a lot of phrasing true the voice and 
I think it's incredibly important. I just don't know that we get it right for the right reasons here. Mm-hmm. That flexibility is more because we need to be flexible in terms of finding work, I think, sometimes. Having right. said that, I know there's lots of musicians that are doing it for the right reasons, too. Um, so tell me a little bit about the um, decision to to join the services in the, in, in the, in the first place, as a, as even as a, as a trumpeter. Um, you know, certainly here... Um, uh, in Ireland and the UK, um, people sometimes will have aspirations to play with the top symphony orchestras, uh, and the service the service bands can can get uh, can play second fiddle uh, uh, to that sometimes. Um, but really and truly, the the service bands are, as you said, some of the top musicians. Tell me a little bit about your your journey to um, making the decision to join the services bands in the first place. So the. Uh, to talk about that, I have to go back a little bit further and and explain that I'm I'm the fourth of four children um, by a long shot. My my closest siblings are twelve years older than I am, and so some of the earliest memories that I have are going to their high school band concerts. And so you know the this person would come out on stage with this little stick, and um, from silence would come the most to my little like two-year-old ears, the the most beautiful sounds I'd I'd ever heard. And of course it's a high school band, so you know that they're I'm I'm not sure exactly how beautiful some of those sounds were, especially <laughs> knowing especially knowing how much my brothers practiced. Um but you, you know it was very formative at that time of okay, like here's this guy making making music. And I, I equated that with the, those sounds. So I was like from that early age, that's what I want to do. I want to be a band director. I want to be a band director. And then very ironically, in my freshman year of high school, the United States Marine Band came through. And I, I say it's ironic because I watched their director and I stopped saying I want to be a band director. I mean, here's the great one of the greatest bands in the world. And I stopped saying I want to be a band director and started saying I want to be a conductor. And I don't know if I was conscious of the distinction or or the, conscious of kind of setting that foundation of what I w- was just railing against of, oh, I'm not a band director. I'm not an orchestra director. I'm, I'm a conductor. I'm a musician. But, you know, I, I stopped saying I want to be a band director and started saying I want to be a conductor. Well, no one really starts the career as a conductor. So I had to do it. had to do something else in the meantime. And so I'd been studying trumpet. Uh, I, I'd always wanted to study trumpet. And uh, so then I went to the University of Illinois as a trumpet performance major and immediately started studying conducting as well on the side. I, I was studying um, at pretty much at the graduate level. I, I auditioned into uh, Professor Donald Schleicher, the orchestra director there at the Times, um, um, orchestra conducting graduate seminar. And so took that for credit while I was there. I studied with uh, Professor Jim Keane, who was the director of bands. I studied with Eduardo Diaz Munoz, who was the uh, director of opera. Um, and I was also working part-time as production manager for the Professional Chamber Orchestra on campus, Sinfonia de Camera. So I'd bend that, that conductor's ear, Ian Hobson, uh, all the time. So I was studying with all these conductors. And, and I'm still kicking myself that I wasn't really studying with any of the, the vocal, aside from the opera guy, um, uh, that just wasn't in my purview of thought at the time and really wasn't in the, the schedule because I was, you know, doing the college thing, uh, college kid thing, too, of running myself ragged and, and sleeping three hours and burning the candle at all ends. <laughs> um, so so I was studying trumpet, studying conducting and and playing in, you know, the phenomenal band program that is there at the University of Illinois. And I mean, something's something crazy like five or six concert bands go on at the University of Illinois. And one of my other side jobs to help put myself through college was to work in the University of Illinois band library. So I thank my lucky stars that I had that job for four years because I know so much band repertoire because I stuffed the folders of all this stuff and I listened to the rehearsals. And if I wasn't actively playing this piece, I at least knew it by title and knew it by composer and knew that it existed out there in, in the world of repertoire. So I rely on that training daily in my current position. And so I'm doing all doing all of that while also, you know, playing and, and, and learning conducting. And um, 
then, yeah, I got done with University of Illinois and I worked administration for uh, an orchestra. And then I went back to school for my master's in orchestral conducting and the band thing kind of went by the wayside. But um, I did conduct some of the bands at Western Michigan when I had the opportunity. But again, from the standpoint of, you know, just get me on a podium, get me in front mm-hmm. of people so that I can, you know, our, our practice room as a conductor is in front of an ensemble. Like we need that feedback. We, we can, we can stare at ourselves in the mirror and go, oh yeah, I'm totally being clear. I know exactly what I want. Of course, you know what you want. You're the one wanting it. Like you don't get that feedback unless you're in front of actual groups. So get me in front of all these groups. And then, so all, all that time, you know, the service bands had been kind of in my, in the back of my mind as, as an option, um, and, and always from the standpoint of conducting, you know, I, I never really wanted to be um, a performing trumpeter. The trumpet was the, the stepping stone to the baton. The, the, that was my grounding instrument. That was, um, you know, the, the instrument at which I became somewhat fluent and through fluent in this musical language mm-hmm. and then transfer it to, to the, the baton. And I should back up and I would be remiss if I didn't um, take us on this little bit of tangent. So when the Marine Band <laughs> went through, they were directed by a man named Colonel Timothy W. Foley. He was the director of the band from, I want to say, 1996 to 2004. And he had been the assistant director of the band for about 17 years before that. And he had been a clarinetist with the band for 11 years before that. Um, so he's the one that made me stop saying, I want to be a band director. I want to be a conductor. Well, fast forward seven years or so, and he comes to the university of Illinois to guest conduct. And I had saved my program from that concert that had been so formative to me in my high school years. And I, I immediately called up my parents. Hey, you need to send me, uh, my program. It's on my dresser. I told them exactly where it was. Um, so they sent it to me and, and, uh, I'm mar- being the person that I am. I marched right up to him. Hey, I want you to sign this thing. And I want to, I, I want to study with you while you're here. And I, I got to tell you, you know, I walked into a conducting lesson and I, I walked out like two hours later with a lifelong friend. I just talked to him on the phone a, a couple days ago. He he and I have stayed in touch and he has been such such a wonderful mentor and friend and kind of um, pseudo father figure to me. Uh, he's just like to me, the the golden example of especially what a service musician should be. But really, like chop the service part off what a musician should be. Um, so like I said, I, I, I thought I would be remiss if I did not just share that, that <laughs> little bit, but, uh, uh, roundabout lo- very long way of answering your question of yes, the service bands have always kind of been in the periphery of my knowledge. Um, but you know, it, it really came down to what jobs are open right now. I need a job. What can I audition for? And then what sticks? What what audition do I win? And uh, uh, will will allow me to eat? And you know, m- maybe not worry about my teeth falling out. One of the most exciting parts of any journey is the anticipation of the adventure to come. Planning your route, investigating the attractions, and researching the local culture. But sometimes, as music educators, it's easy to get swept up in the mountain of work it takes to bring your students on that next band trip. And that joy and anticipation can be lost, or worse, can turn into dread. With over 28 years of experience, Kaleidoscope Adventures has a world-class team of travel and performance experts ready to make this process not just easy, but exciting, leaving you and your students to continue doing what you do best and looking forward to an experience of a lifetime. When you're ready to travel beyond expectations, contact Kaleidoscope Adventures at mykatrip.com. Well, now that you're in the service bands and you've, you've spent some time there, um, what do you think is the you know single most or maybe the few things that uh, people that haven't served in the service bands or might be considering servicing, uh, uh, serving in the service bands. What do you think the things that people miss about it that they don't really know until they're kind of in there and working what, when you're having conversations with people about, about the bands? So, and, and this goes for anyone in uh, the, the public either. So non-musicians too. I, I, I think that there is a fundamental 
not understanding, uh, it's not even a misunderstanding. I think it's just generally not understood how stupidly good these musicians are in the service mm-hmm. things. Just the the insane musical level that they play at. I mean, there's you've kind of mentioned it, uh, and and maybe I've beaten around the bush a little bit too. Where there's there's a bit of this this stigma that I I think you said you know that they play second fiddle. Um, whereas, I mean, you look at any of the service bands and, and even not limiting ourselves to the premier bands, uh, the, the top level bands of each branch. So like the president's own, the coast guard band, the, the army field band groups like that, the, the, the regional bands too are full of phenomenal musicians that, that are coming out of master's degrees and doctoral degrees at, at conservatories and, and big name uh, music schools and, and even smaller schools, but they're, they're phenomenal musicians as well uh, that just didn't go for whatever reason to Juilliard. Uh, um, they didn't have the money or, or whatever. These bands are full of phenomenal musicians. And when you see the band out there marching on on uh, the parade field or in the parade or or at this ceremony, and you know you're hearing them play all these marches, and and not necessarily hearing them in Carnegie Hall playing the Hindemith Symphony, you know there there is the stigma of oh band oh band oh band, and I think some of that comes from you know maybe not having the experience of listening to really top level bands because. Mm. This, you, most people understand what a good orchestra sounds like. You go to a movie and you hear what a good orchestra sounds like. You, you turn on the television and you hear what a good orchestra sounds like. Or, you know, you, you had to stomach your way through a a field trip that your general music teacher took you um, to the symphony in fifth grade and you heard an orchestra. Um, But your experience with band may be limited to whatever your high school band sounded like. And this really hit me in the army when I was playing, I think it was my third ceremony out on the parade field. It was ungodly hot. I was sweating through my uniform. I didn't want to be there. I did not want to play national emblem for the third time this day while trying to make sure that I hit my steps on the counter March correctly. I was just, I was, I was not in a good place, Keith. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've had days like that. I, I, I... <laughs> but I realized that, you know, standing not three yards to the left of me was this kid, literally this like 17 or 18 year old kid standing in formation, graduating from basic army training, army combat training. And this was going to be his first experience listening to what a military band sounded like. And this, and, and it really hit me at that point. The last time he heard a band was in his high school, and and maybe they were a phenomenal, you know, one of these Texas triple, quadruple, quintuple A programs <laughs> or whatnot, or maybe it was a a band like I came up through in in Michigan, where it wasn't bad, but it, you know, we weren't winning medals and winning awards. Like we we were playing because we enjoyed to play, and we were playing to to enjoy music and. So that really kind of put that in perspective as, you know, I'm, I'm stepping off to do the sound off march again uh, for the umpteenth time that day. Uh, And I'm going, you know, we have to do this right because this will, this will mark what they view military bands as for the rest of their military career, at least. And I, I just think people don't have that same frame of reference when it comes to band as they do with orchestra or or opera and, and and i think that's a shame because that then does bleed into oh well it's a band um and when musicians are looking for career options oh well i could go go play in you know this teeny tiny little per service orchestra that you know meets twice uh twice a year or so or i could go to the service band oh well, i'm going to go to the orchestra because obviously my musical experience is going to be so much better there and that's not who these 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 regional orchestras or or whatnot, but it again I think it speaks to the the fundamental non understanding of just the sorts of musicians that populate these uh, service bands. I I think you've hit the nail on the head with that sort of early comparison. You know, kids will hear uh, bands 
in their high school, in their middle school, uh, on a football field, that maybe just through the sheer number of bands that are out there, not sounding like a top orchestra or what like what a top band sounds like, and so that tends to um, to give us that that tendency towards thinking that the orchestras are these you know film quality uh <laughs> ensembles and these bands are like what you're hearing like certainly here in ireland just like marching down the street like with community musicians and and that's just not a fair comparison but you know it's because the bands get out there and they play uh, at every single community event and uh and you know in sub-freezing temperatures <laughs> over a hundred i mean the conditions that you are listening to a band are not like i say always in a carnegie hall <clears throat> I mean, stick an orchestra out on the parade field for 40 <laughs> minutes and have them stand at attention and sweating their whatever's off and then tell them to do a sound off march. And, and, and they're, they're not going to sound like, a, like the orchestra right. that they normally sound like either. Um, right. I mean, it, there, there are just so many factors that go into it. But, uh, you know, in, in a way, I think, um, yeah, I, I just think that that's, that's one of the fundamental misunderstandings. And uh, unfortunately, we see it at all levels. We see it at the public level where, you know, constantly public members who just like for some reason fall into our concerts, like they walk through the door not having any idea what they're doing. Uh, oh, it's something to do. And they come up to me after, oh, my gosh, that was really good. I'm going, what were you expecting? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, please come again. Um but musicians as well, but also, you know, in the service bands, and, and you know this well, too, from your experience in, in the service, uh, that stigma comes at the, the higher levels of the military, too, when mm. you start talking about the funding and you start talking about treatment of the band and, and they, they treat the, the, there can be this tendency, uh, and, and I should say that, you know, for by and large, the, the commanding officers that I've worked for have gotten it. They, they understand. I mean, you don't get to a certain level in the military without being a fairly intelligent person on, at some level, at least. But you, you do get uh, what we kind of colloquially call uh, the, the bean counters who are, are, are looking at it going, well, well, why do we even have a band? And why? What is the purpose? And and oh, they're they're not all that good anyway. And talking about something like the Coast Guard Band, where it's like one of the finest bands in in, in the world, <laughs> mm-hmm. and because they come from the standpoint of someone in the military, it comes in not knowing their trade. The military teaches them their trade, and then they go out and ply that trade. Whereas we're one of the few ratings or one of the few specialties in the military that comes in already at that high level. We know what it means to play our instrument. We know what it means to do our job. We're just doing it now in uniform, in service to this branch of the military, in service to the nation, as opposed to somewhere else. You know, what I found over the years um with with the military as well as that as you say some of the finest musicians um will will audition and will be part of of your bands um but sometimes those musicians um find life in in, in the services uh, life in the military difficult I mean, they've come from a very different background from an, an artistic background Maybe they, maybe in the college that they were in, they got to play in, play some of the finest repertoire weekly, um, and then they get to the military bands that have a very specific function. Uh, not to say that any of these bands aren't commissioning great works and recording some great works too, uh, but there's a very specific function. Um, how does the services band? How does your band? How do how do the services generally in the U.S. Um, help to uh, train musicians to be part of the services? Well, each branch has has its own way of doing things. Um, the the Coast Guard Band and the the President's Own Marine Band are the only two service bands in the country that do not require basic military training. So you okay. you join, and we basically handle that in house. Um, we we teach how to salute, how to put the uniform on, all all the customs and courtesies, all those different things. We handle that in house. The other branches do some form of basic training or another. Army, Air Force, and Navy send them to the various basic training bases. Uh, the the Marines, um, again, accepting the president's own, send to uh, basic training, and then they go through infantry combat training, and then they go to 
uh, the uh, School of Music in Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia. Uh, so each of the branch kind of handles it a little bit differently, but I, I think that's also good because each branch has a slightly different take on what the role of the band is and what right. the relationship of the band is. And, and I say band singularly. I, there's one Coast Guard band, but there are dozens of army bands. There, there, there are dozens of Navy bands. There are dozens of uh, uh, Marine bands out there. And, and each of those also has a slightly um, different mission from a, uh, one of the other ones. And, and so it's, it's hard to generalize uh, with questions like this, but, you know, we, we here at the Coast Guard Band especially, right from the audition, want to make sure that people, prospective members of the band are aware of the different facets of the job. Of course, you're not able to actively, you know, um, you, you don't know what it is until you've experienced it, really. A lot of it, uh, and and one of our one of our junior members uh, said on our last audition, she was on the committee uh, on on the panel, and she told the the candidate, uh, you know, until you've done the schedule for two years, you don't know what the schedule is. Uh, because you don't know that oh every four years we do the presidential inauguration oh every mm-hmm. two years we do the Memorial Day ceremony etc cetera, etc, cetera. Um, but we we try right from the outset to kind of uh, disabuse people of this notion that they're going to come in and sit down, play their part beautifully, and go away, and that'll be it. <laughs> um, and and as you mentioned, I'm glad you brought up the repertoire. That okay, you're going to come in, play play Beethoven beautifully, and leave, and and that's going to be it. No, I mean we're 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 playing a lot of different stuff. And it really comes down to uh, what what the mission at hand is. Is the mission the, a, a Carnegie Hall concert? Because we do that. We do those things. Is the mission a Coast Guard cutter ceremony, a commissioning of one of the giant vessels that go out on, on, the, uh, on the seas and on, on the ocean? And that's going to be a very different musical experience. A state funeral, a presidential state funeral is going to be a very different musical experience. And so I, I think that if people come into the job with the notion that they're going to do a wide variety of things and have the opportunity to do a wide variety of musical things and are open to that, those are the sorts of people who are going to do, do well in this job and, and have, have the best satisfaction, I think, uh, and, and not become the maybe stereotypical jaded musician that we can see in any ensemble, whereas the people who come in and are expecting or wanting or have this idea of, I just want to play my part and my part in air quotes, meaning, you know, uh, this great grand repertoire, whatever that means to you, um, <laughs> they're going to be disappointed. And, and I've got to say, you know, I, I, I get a lot of um, requests from college students and, and uh, master's degree students and, and postgraduate and students looking for work. And, and the, hey, can we talk to you about the military thing for a while? OK. And, and uh, I'm happy. I love sitting down and talking with them. And I've got to tell you, I've probably persuaded more people to not join than I have. <laughs> Recruiters, if I were a recruiter, they would hate me and I would be fired um, because I want to make sure that we bring in people who have the right kind of mindset mm. for this job, which isn't to say anything. Like, there is a place for people who just want to come in and play, play their part. There, there is a, there, there's a time and place and there, there is some place for those people to flourish. I don't think it's the military bands just because of the, the fact that, I mean, to give you an ex- a real life example, yesterday I was conducting a uh, brass ensemble concert um, that was that was live broadcast from, from our home uh, in, in Leamy Hall at the Coast Guard Academy. Tomorrow I'm on a bus going down to Washington, D.C. in preparation for the um, Arlington National Cemetery uh, Veterans Day ceremony. And then immediately I'm getting on the bus afterwards and we come back and next week uh, we start rehearsals for my full band concert that's going to be broadcast on uh, November 21st. And that's, you know, pieces like to Kelly's Angels in the Architecture and uh, um, uh, um, 
McCune's uh, High Water Rising and, and you know, no, really good repertoire. And then immediately after that, we go into the, the kiddie concerts of the, the holiday <laughs> concerts. And, you know, so huge array of repertoire. And I love it. I think it's great because I have the opportunity to not be forced into a specialization. I have the opportunity. I am forced to not be um, too artsy fartsy, hoity toity, fuddy duddy about uh, what it is that that I'm doing. Not everyone has the same uh, opinion of that. Not everyone has that same outlook, and not everyone is going to have the same uh, level of job satisfaction from that sort of operations tempo. It, it it is a feature rather than a bug, isn't it? That flexibility of musicianship, uh, and I, I I have very similar stories to that. I remember playing uh, up in Belfast in the waterfront, uh, a joint concert between the Irish Defence Forces bar, bands and the Royal uh, Guards Division um, in the in, in the waterfront. And the very next morning, we, we 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 left very late from Belfast. And the very next morning, we were on parade at six a.m. for for a drive to a, a local school to play at their. Um, um, to, to play at an environmental award that they were receiving. Um, and we were playing, you know, uh, music that the kids love, cartoon symphony and, and pieces like that. So it was, you know, we and we have lots of stories like that. And I think actually, you know, within the end of that week, I was singing at a, at a, a small little function band that we had for the officers mess then as well. So it was, um, <laughs> but, but it was really something that appealed to me. I loved that flexibility. And, and as, you know, post military career, it's actually really um, gave me, uh, it really gave me a lot of experience in, in having a portfolio career where I'm capable of doing some admin administration, which I, you know, learned in the military, I, uh, playing jazz or, or playing classical or maybe even conducting, you know, it's, uh, I, I do think for people that are, because, you know, here's the thing, if you're a freelance musician, you're going to have to have that flexibility anyway. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right? Absolutely. And I mean, I, uh, one of the hills that I might die on is, is the hill of, you know, I, and I'm going to con- contradict what I just said about five minutes ago. You know, <laughs> I, I, I question, I really do question just how viable it is to expect to come in and just play your part and leave. Uh, because we have to be ambassadors for music at wh- wherever we are. Uh, you know, if you're in in one of the major symphonies, you're still being asked to go into schools and and talk about the symphony, or you're you're being asked to rub elbows with the the high level donors, and you know they they want to get to know you, and they want to know like who the musicians are, and if they know who the musicians are, maybe they'll leave us a million dollars when they die, that sort of thing. <laughs> And, and yeah, I mean, I, I think to be, to be a well-rounded musician, I think to be a well-rounded person, you need to be open to the, to the idea, at least, if not the, the opportunity of doing other things than simply playing the right notes and the right rhythms and, and being, being told how to play those. I mean, one, one, one of the things that uh, I, I work with groups a lot is, you know, not abdicating your own musical authority, not abdicating your own musical ideas, where it's not the conductor's job to tell you how to play your part. And it's not your job to sit there and wait to be told how to, I want to hear you play. I want to hear how you play this. I want to hear what you have to bring to this. So that brings to the fabric and the mosaic of what it is that we're doing, the music that we're, we're making, as opposed to me constantly having to say, okay, clarinets, let's play that a little bit louder, trombones a little bit softer, horns a little bit longer here, percussion a little more clattery there, you know, whatever. You know, once you've done the, the correct filtering of potential recruits and, and you've told everyone why not to join <laughs> um, and you get the right people in. Uh, obviously, there's there's endeavors to play very high level music and to commission new music and to play uh, to play music by all of those uh, great composers that, you know, ro- ro- the, the, the Royal Northern College of Music are playing and commissioning and so on as well. Um, you know, uh, how do you keep people artistically focused uh, and and engaged with with the band and when you're planning programs and so on well i may give you a bit of a cop-out answer here and and, (laughs) and where it's and, and this is going to sound so much harsher than i actually mean it but 
I'll just come right out and say it is not my job to provide musical fulfillment to the musicians. <laughs> I mean, that's that's very fair. And, and it, you know, it it's also not my job to make sure that I'm musically fulfilled. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's my job. You know, let, let's break it all down and talk about mission again. What is the mission? My job is to make sure that we have uh, a mission success every single time, whatever that means. If that means playing show tunes and Andrew Lloyd Webber and, you know, whatever else all the time, uh, not all the time, but like for this thing or, you know, uh, all, all SUSE program for, to meet this mark or, or that, then that, that's what we're going to do. I mean, I also happen to love SUSE, but that's, that really doesn't come in, into play. I, I really have to focus on what is best for the organization. And I try to pick pieces that I think people will like. But, you know, my my boss, Commander Williamson, the director of the band, has has a phrase that um, he loves to, to say with me where, like, for it, it's a one-to-one ratio. For every person that you please, you're going to piss off someone else with a, any decision, really, repertoire or or admin decision or whatever else. It's a one-to-one ratio. So uh, I may program a piece and someone may, will come up to me and, Mr. Spenner, Mr. Spenner, I love that piece. I'm so glad you're performing it. And I'll walk down the hall from that conversation and I'm going to hear, oh, I can't believe we're playing that piece. And it's like, well, you can't win. So, so I mean, at a certain point, you shouldn't try. And and like I say, you know, it's it's not my job to provide that musical satisfaction uh, to the musicians. What my job is, is to present the music in a way that is fertile ground for that musical satisfaction, I think. So that they, maybe they don't like the piece, but they can enjoy aspects of what we're doing with the piece. So, so that, you, you, you know, it's, it, it, it's not I'm I'm going around polling the band. Okay, what do you want to play? What do you want? I'm I'm certainly welcome to to repertoire suggestions, and I love when people are are jazzed about a, a piece of music. But my job is to get them to play the music in the best way possible, and um, it some the the harsh reality is sometimes their feeling about the piece doesn't necessarily come into the equation. What we do try to do is allow for the space where they can provide their own musical satisfaction. And I think that is also the key to being uh, a successful service band musician or really, chop off service again, successful musician. Right. It is it is the musician's themselves job to make sure that they don't stagnate, that they don't um, you know fizzle out, that they don't burn out. Uh, that and whatever that means, and and so we provide the opportunities to do recitals. We we have basically the band members basically have carte blanche to create their own small groups and go out to schools and 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 do education events, and 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 we try to provide that framework where if someone has an idea, then we're going to work with them on that idea and see how we can realize that. Uh, one of our musicians uh, came to us with this idea of doing a uh, Ken Burns-style documentary. Ken Burns, uh, um, for for those who may not be familiar with um, his work, is an American um, documentary film uh, film guy. He did the the big the Civil War years ago, and uh, he has, has one on jazz and Prohibition. But one of our musicians came to us with the idea of, hey, I want to do a Ken Burns-style documentary on the history of the military musician. That's awesome. Let's That's do that. Awesome. that <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing that. Let's throw some resources and provide the fertile ground to do that because that is some that is a that is a service we can offer. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I I think that again, and this comes back to my idea of it's not enough to just kind of sit back and wait to be told uh, how to play your part or or sit back and wait for a silver platter to be offered to you heaped with these wonderful musical experiences. The fact of the matter is you're going to be playing a lot of Sousa. You're going to be playing the the national anthem over and over and over (laughs) and over. I shudder to think how many times I'll have conducted the national anthem and or Semper Paratus, our service song, at the end of my career. I should have started a tally. I really should have because I would have been fascinated by that. But uh, it's... I, I also say, you know, uh, a personal responsibility when it comes down to musical satisfaction. 
Yeah, you're right though, and I mean, like, like I sometimes I feel like military bands are kind of held by are held to this this standard by um, or this expectation by by by, by colleg- collegiate graduates and so on that. You know, oh, they won't meet our musical uh, ambitions. Uh, well, whereas if you get a, a gig as the full-time uh, woodwind player with Wicked on Broadway, you're, there's not going to be much flexibility with that job for the next few years. Uh, you are going to get a lot more musical uh, um, uh, flexibility and and, and uh, difference working with one of the with one of the service bands than many other types of gigs whether that's cruise ships or playing for wedding bands or uh the top top broadway shows as well you're playing the same stuff over and over again no matter where you are it's really what you put into it and and, uh you know even even people in the service bands i mean maybe i should say especially some people in the service bands can get jaded to it because maybe they don't have the the same sort of environment that we strive for here at the Coast Guard Band. Um, let, let me ask you that, Je- Jeffrey. So, because it is an it is an international stereotype, the the jaded military musician, and and I think it's probably unfair because, as I said, I've just mentioned a number of different um, examples of musicians that aren't held to that same sort of you know stereotype, like those Broadway musicians. But military musicians tend to get this stereotype. What is it? Is is it just? Is it is the stereotype just incorrect, or is it something that maybe maybe we need to work on with service bands? So maybe no. I, I love your answer that it's not your job, but I'm I'm just wondering. You've obviously thought about this. Well, yeah, and and you you know I'm 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 saying it's not my job in not not in a uh, oh well that's not my job so I'm not going <laughs> to do anything about it sort of way. But no, maybe I should put it this way: it's not my responsibility to ensure mm-hmm. that everyone's. Um, uh, musical satisfaction is met 100% of the time. It's something that I think about a lot and mm. some because I want to I want to elevate the status not only of military bands but of bands. I want to elevate the status of the the this musical medium that we have at our disposal that is not a second fiddle to an orchestra or an opera company or a chamber music society. Um but no I I, I don't Unfortunately, I don't think the jaded military musician stereotype is incorrect. In fact, I think it may be more correct than we even want to admit to ourselves. <laughs> um, and and that I, therein, I think, lies the problem. But, you mm. know, again, I think it comes down to, well, what are we doing about it? Uh, and I remember a conversation I had with a, a very senior um, uh, military musician at one point. I was just getting in. And he looked at me at one point and said, you know, music's only 2% of the job, right? And that just, that didn't sit well with me because, I mean, here I am, this hoity-toity musician coming out of a master's degree in, in music going, oh, well, I, I want to play Hindemith and Granger and Holst and, and all, all these different things. And, and I, you know, I, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, I, I just want to play music. Um, <laughs> but uh, I also think that's a decision that that particular individual came to at some point. Mm. A personal decision that, you know, they let the grind get to them. And it is a grind. I mean, you're being dragged into your two-star general or two-star admiral's office having to talk about, you know, what the band did for this or why did you program that or I don't like this piece of music or or uh, why why can't the – why. Why can't the band be out on the parade field uh, in negative seven degree weather with their clarinets? And, you, you know, or or what do you mean you're skipping the ceremony to go play a concert in Carnegie Hall? Or you know, all these different things that we have to do. Or 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 the the one I hold up as like the shining example of hey, uh, you know, your 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 slidey instruments at the front of the parade they they weren't uh, they weren't all in sync. You need to get them in sync while they're playing different parts. Well, they need to be in sync okay well you just hand out the first trombone part and don't have any harmonies uh for your next parade but anyway so um, it's a grind and but keith any job can be a grind any job and i'm not even talking music like if you ask a surgeon why they became a surgeon they're not going to talk about the paperwork that they have to do for every patient they're going to talk about saving people's lives they're going to talk about the difference that they make in people's lives and we are the exact same thing we make that we we make a difference in people's lives, but there is a crap ton of stuff that has to happen before and after the the magical moments on stage that just 
aren't talked about. And, and I think it's a true disservice to the, the mental health of our, our musicians, both within the service bands and outside, that we we kind of, and, and, and maybe it's different a, across the pond, but here in America, we're only now starting to really address that elephant in the room of how does one make a living out of music? Instead instead of, oh, well, how does one sound beautiful on the melody? How does one play offbeats without dragging or rushing? Uh, uh, all the technical little things that, that we've been so good at nailing uh, uh, for the past many years, only now are we starting to really talk about, like, what does it actually mean to make a living in music? What are all the things that you're going to have to do? Whether you're in a service band, whether you get one of the chairs in in a major symphony whether you're playing the freeway philharmonic and if it's tuesday i guess i'm in omaha and wednesday i'm in texas you know whatever else i mean you're going to be doing these other things well jeffrey uh and you're you're right that is a conversation that that is starting to happen here and i think globally uh not just that we have a geographical difference in how that conversation is happening but of uh, you know of course the world is just changing for music um, and the production and performance of music and how we um, and how we have that conversation about making those um those career choices um i could talk to you about all of this for literally days um yeah and, you know and, and, hey maybe we should sometime I, I, this has been so much fun i i, I think you know a panel of military musicians from around the world at some stage i think that's a definite repertoire happy hour uh, sometime in the future um but jeffrey i want to talk to you a little bit about some non-music uh aspects of of you and your your life and uh, i know i know you're probably like me there's you know there's not much outside of band but I'm, i know there's there's, there's probably a bit. Um, so this is off the rostrum. And my first question for you today is, what is your favorite holiday? Oh, I don't know if I have a favorite holiday. <laughs> oh, man. Possibly. So, so um, Christmas has always been uh, special to me. Um, and, and maybe this is a cheating answer because it's, it, it's for musical reasons. My, my mother is a church organist, so I literally grew up on the organ bench next to her. And so the one time I play trumpet ever anymore is um, on Christmas Eve, I go, go back to Michigan and I play hymns with her uh, and, and Christmas carols and, and whatnot. And I, I accompany her for, for services. So that's, that's always been just a, a really special thing. So, so uh, um, I'll, I'll use that as my answer. <laughs> that's okay. You're allowed to mention a little, little bit of music. That's fine. <laughs> I do things, I swear. <laughs> Well, well, here's a question that I normally say that is non-related to the to, to your job, but I think in this case it may be. Uh, how do you keep fit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, not so much now that I've joined the Coast Guard as opposed to the Army. The Army, the Army had me running and doing sit-ups and push-ups all the time, but uh, um, no, I, I really need to get back to it. Uh, my, my last weigh-in was uh, uh, maybe a bit sticker shock of, uh, uh, you know, I gained the COVID-19, I think. Um, <laughs> 19 pounds that is um, I, I, I like to I like to go for walks I, I like to uh, jog um, the army kind of beat out the joy in running uh, <laughs> me, but uh, that's something I'd like that's to get beat it into me that that's very funny. It beat it into me. I, I never ran before the army. I haven't ran much since I've left the army, but I enjoyed it while I was there. <laughs> well, see, I enjoy it when a I don't have anywhere to get to in any particular period of time. <laughs> like like you know, I don't have have that tempo that I have to hit. I I, I think so. I mentioned Tim Foley. Tim Foley uh, is, is a lifetime runner, and he'll he'll take me out for runs when, when I go visit him and he'll constantly apologize, uh, uh, for what he calls his old man pace. But I'm looking at my, my, uh, uh, you know, Apple watch going, Tim, this is not too much slower than what I normally run. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, he, he's actually moving back to the, the, uh, the East coast, uh, in, in the near future. So I'm looking forward to going out for more runs with, with, with him. So, uh, uh, that, that, that will be my answer. I enjoy going out for runs with, uh, uh, people that I enjoy spending time with. What is your favorite movie of all time? Oh, that is a very good question. <laughs> Mostly because I don't watch many movies. 
well then you have uh, you're, you're more uh, you curate your movies a little bit more than the rest of us so you know I'm I'm a huge Star Trek fan I love oh, same love Star Trek and I I grew up watching the original series um, uh, movies on VHS and the the one I think I wore out the most was Star Trek 6 the undiscovered country I, I great movie I I put that above Wrath of Khan and I know I, I Wrath of Khan is probably second, but I uh, I just think in terms of what Star Trek is and what it means and what it means to me, Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country is just the pinnacle of uh, that that franchise, and that that is a movie that I can just I can come back to time and time again. I I can quote the Shakespeare in the original Klingon now. I've watched it <laughs> so many different times. So uh, we'll go with Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. That's that's a great choice. I I you know out of all of those movies, um, I still. I really, really love Star Trek Four, and I know that's the one that everyone thinks is like the silly one. But like going back in time and being in San Francisco, I, I Star Trek Four is one of my favorite movies of all time. That that is that is a movie that I will. <laughs> Star Trek Four is a movie I will pull quote, quotes out in my everyday life, and I will throw <laughs> references in, and and people will have no idea what I'm even talking about. But just for my own edification, I will quote from that movie. So I. I I hear you. I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm Team Star Trek Four too, Keith. Good, good. So you so when you're in the job, you're not. You, do you ever talk about the Wessel? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Nuclear Wessels. <laughs> Actually, the one that comes up most often is um, when we're trying to. My wife and I are trying to decide if what we want to eat. Uh, do you like Italian? Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. I love Italian, and so do you. Yes. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. I really want to watch all of those movies again soon. <laughs> Definitely. Um, who is your favorite author? That's like asking my favorite composer. Mm. It changes depending on who I'm currently reading and currently um, studying right now. Um, oh, man. It, it also depends on, so like, are we talking fiction or, or is nonfiction uh, up for grabs too? Well, well, here's a, here's a preliminary question. So, um, what do you prefer to read, fiction or nonfiction? <laughs> I actually prefer non, <coughs> excuse me, I actually prefer nonfiction. Okay, so um, in, in that space, who would your favorite author be? So, so right now, and I, it's not even that I've read a whole lot of his stuff, uh, um, but uh, Doug, Douglas Hofstadler, he wrote uh, Girdle Escher Bach. Uh, he, uh, one, of the, one of the other things that I do other, other than music is I'm currently uh, pursuing graduate studies in a cognitive science program at the University wow. of Connecticut. Um, and so like, I'm really into the whole brain thing and thinking and thinking about thinking and, and being very meta philosophical and, and, and things like that. And, and, and science and, and that goes into music a little bit with like, uh, you know, the, the philosophy of music and just like what is actually happening in the perception and uh, psychology of music and, and, and all that jazz. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by, by geniuses like Hofstadler and just how they're able to bring multiple strands of thought and bring it together in some sort of like fugue state of uh, thinking. And uh, I'm slowly teasing my way through Girdle Escherbach and, and trying to understand even like 10% of it um, so that my brain can, can like not even come close to theirs, of course, but just like open my mind to these these different uh, connections and, and connectivity where maybe I, I hadn't seen before um, so so that that's the nonfiction side um, right now I'm reading a lot of um, like modernist fiction and uh, uh, I recently learned the term ergodic e-r-g-o-d-i-c um, and what this is is um, interesting novel unique ways of uh presenting a story so hmm. one of the books right now that i have uh is called the unfortunates and i i bs johnson i think is the author and it comes in a little box and it has little pamphlets and there are like 24 pamphlets that you basically throw up in the air 
and they come down in a random order, and you read them in that random order. Well, it and it somehow makes sense. And then to reread the book, you throw them up in the air again. And they come down in a different order, and they they still make some sort of like a sense. And there are a number of different books like this out there, and I'd throw uh, Ulysses, the James Joyce, in there with that. Where it, the 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 definition I think of ergodic fiction is um, books that take a not uh, passive route through understanding, or like you you have to not just sit there and read the words to understand what is going on. It it mm. takes a little bit of piecing together. What on earth is going on with this? I, I'm a huge video game nerd, and I think that's a big part of the conversation around video games too, which is that when you give the player or the reader control over the narrative and 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 a, the ability to interact with that narrative, narrative, how do you tell a successful narrative? It sounds very similar. So uh, I, that's that's a really really interesting term, um, and I will make sure to put any links to any recommendations of re- books. I'm glad you brought the video game thing into it because there are uh, some of the um, studies out there right now are the the link between like gaming and uh, telling the story and whatnot. And and, and so some of these these books that I have um, are are talking not only about the print fiction, uh, ergodic fiction, ergodic literature, but also the the parallels in video gaming. And I'll throw in I'm a big board game Mm. fan. person i've i've got like 500 some board games sitting in my basement um in in our game room and some of those games are very similar there's a game called seventh continent that i am convinced is basically the board game version of what uh like um uh, an open world video game would be it's just a phenomenal board game if you don't know you and and you're not into board games I, i i'd suggest checking that one out i think you might enjoy that very cool. Uh, absolutely. Board games are something that I want to get into more. My kids are just getting that little bit older now too, and uh, and I think they're going to be a perfect age to start exploring things that are a little bit beyond Monopoly suit. Um, <laughs> it has been absolutely fantastic talking to you, Jeffrey, um, and I, th- I think this has spurred me to maybe do some sort of military panel or service band global panel at some stage for the global band room. I think there would be some fascinating conversations that we could have. Um, Jeffrey, if people want to find out about more about you and more about the uh, United States Coast Guard Band. How can they do that? So, like any other group, we're online. I think it's www.uscg, that's United States Coast Guard, .mil, shortened military, uh, backslash band, or just type us into Google, United States Coast Guard Band, where the thing that pops up. We are also on Facebook, and we post rather regularly. We also have a YouTube channel, and in these times of COVID, that has been our primary public performance venue. So, uh, like I said, we did a concert yesterday, and that was uh, live-streamed on YouTube. My full band concert on November 21st will be live-streamed on YouTube. So, check us out there, and we also have a plethora of... uh, Uh, videos up there, wonderful music, some interviews and whatnot, uh, so that you can enjoy the United States Coast Guard Band from the comfort of your home or car or wherever you happen to be, wherever you are. Jeffrey, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you. Best of luck with everything over the holidays and all any performances that you have coming up. And uh, I look forward to meeting you in person soon. Yeah, that'll be great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much again for joining me and my guests in the band room this week. I'll be back next episode talking to more great guests from around the band world, so head over to wherever you get your podcasts from and make sure you subscribe. If you've enjoyed the episode, maybe even leave us a review and share it with your band buddies. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Global Bandroom and on our website, globalbandroom.com. Until next time, I'll see you back in the band room.